I bet y'all were sitting around like Pennywise, just like fiending for a new episode. For 27 years, I dreamt of you. I craved you. I missed you. Hey fam, welcome to another episode of Stay Watching Mondays at the Movies. As always, I'm your host, Larry. And as you can tell, I am back recording another Mondays at the Movies, even though a couple of weeks ago I said that I was probably done with them for a while. Um, but after watching uh, It Chapter 2 recently, I thought hey, maybe there's a better way that I can do this. So Basically, what I am hoping to do now is I'm going to try to continue doing Mondays at the movies uh, pretty regularly. Um, so I'm going to try to stay on a weekly schedule. Um, and the way it's going to change is I'm mostly going to focus on kind of one um, big or at least like very interesting film that has come out that week. Um, so, you know, I might share some very quick thoughts on other films that I've seen because I'm, I'm still going to be seeing two to three films a week. Um, but really, you know, what I want to be able to do is kind of give you my thoughts on something that that's out there that people are talking about that's interesting. Um, so I'm going to be doing that. On top of that, um, one of the other projects that I mentioned was wanting to do kind of this throwback Thursday kind of film review projects, uh, special episode set, um, looking back at uh, films from 1999, or at least starting with films from 1999, since, um, you know, it's one of the greatest years in film um, in a lot of ways, um, or at least it was looked that way at the time. And, and kind of what I want to do is to revisit some of those, you know, bigger films and kind of talk about, um, you know, how do they hold up today? And, you know, there's a bunch of stuff that came out that year that I may not have ever seen. So I'm also looking for suggestions for films that might have come out in 1999 that you're really interested in hearing my thoughts on in podcast form. So, um, you know, as always, at the end, I, I share my social media, I share my email address. Definitely send along your recommendations for the films that you would want to hear me talk about. Um, because again, like I want this to be a collaboration. I want this to be a conversation. And the best way to make it that is if you can kind of provide, you know, what are some of those things that you would really love to hear me talk about? So um, the first episode of that, uh, it's either going to be this week or next week. Uh, I haven't quite decided yet when I want to launch that portion. Um, and as I've talked about before in the past, I'm also going to be bringing back uh, some you know, some of the Just Me episodes, uh, LM2 Talk style episodes where, you know, I might pick a specific topic and just kind of give my two cents on it for 
you know, 15 to 30 to 45 minutes, however long it takes me to get my thoughts out. Um, and I'm also working on, you know, figuring out some of the time where I will be able to sit down with some other folks and uh, do kind of the two person conversation episodes again. So um, lots of new stuff is going to be coming your way. So, you know, as always, just keep your feed locked. But, you know, let's get into it. Chapter two. Um, so hold on just a sec. I'll be right back. So it chapter two, um, you know, it's 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 not like you could it, technically it's a sequel, I guess uh, it is part two to 2017's it's chapter one, I guess. I think it was just called it when it came out. Um, and basically it's the conclusion of the story of the losers and their battle against the extra terrestrial metaphysical embodiment of fear known as it or Pennywise the clown whatever you want to call it um and this film was was kind of an interesting experience for me I, I was really excited going into it and you know I have to be honest I was pretty excited leaving it even though um one of the major complaints I'm just gonna get this out of the way because there's not really a whole lot to say about it. The, the film is too long. You know, it's it's uh, whatever, two hours, 50 minutes, almost three hours. You know, I know Avengers Endgame was three hours as well, you know, and, you know, lots of great movies are that long. Um, I think the challenge here is it didn't feel like it needed to be that long. It felt like there was some stuff that could have potentially been cut there. But, you know, again, it's also at the same time, it's kind of hard to pick out exactly what those things are. Um, but, you know, it's 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 tough to follow up a film like the first it because it had a lot of groundswell behind it. It had a lot of hype behind it. You know, obviously, you know, for a new generation of people who may not have really been familiar with the 1990 TV movie version of it or two night television event, however you want to phrase it, it for a lot of people, it was their introduction to this story. Um, and so it, it kind of got the, you know, a lot of people started to compare it to stuff like Stranger Things, which, you know, in a lot of ways is kind of based off of, you know, the same source material, um, you know, as well as being based on other things as well. Um, and so it was kind of like it, it was kind of this weird kind of cultural touch point where it kind of got repositioned where they decided to set the movie in the late 80s. Um, or sort of in the late 80s. It's a little confusing. Um, I guess it's early 90s. It's it's very 
temporally in the film, it's a little confusing just because some of the elements that are there um, shouldn't have been there at the time that the movie was supposed to take place. So, um, but you know, for most audiences, you know, it takes place in the eighties. And so there's this kind of weird nostalgia thing that's going on right now where people are obsessed with the eighties and kind of wanting to revive the eighties, bring them back. And so it chapter one was, was kind of that. The challenge is you have in the first part of it, you know, you really focus on these kids and their experiences and how they're dealing with all these trauma and all this trauma and bullying and all of these different things. And, you know, it's going from that to adults who have kind of internalized a lot of that trauma and then have to kind of confront stuff that they've buried for years. And so it's it's kind of tough coming into that because you lose, in a sense, you lose some of the fun, you know, not that I want to call childhood trauma fun, um, but you lose some of the, I don't know, there's, there's a certain energy to kids trying to figure out and deal with these problems that changes once you become an adult and it's like you know it's it's sad when you watch these kids go through these things but it's also kind of exhilarating to see how they kind of get through them and to kind of watch these people have to deal with traumas that they they thought they had put behind them it, it I think that's ultimately what's what's kind of interesting about this film and the story of it kind of more generally. I mean, that's that's what it's always been about. And I think one of the things, you know, looking back, watching some clips from the 90s version, while there are elements of that that I like a little bit better in some ways, you know, there's a certain I felt like certain things were kind of taken a little bit more seriously in this one. Um, and I felt like I got a little bit better of an insight into uh, some of what these characters were going through, but not all of them. Um, and I, I would say in terms of critiquing this film, you know, I think some of the things that it does very well are, you know, you know, just starting with the positives, it's it's visuals, I think, are, are very well done. I know some folks have complaints about some of the CG effects and, you know, there's, a, you know, one sequence in particular where there's a few too many flashing lights or things look a little too fake. Uh but I mean, that that happens from time to time, you know, and it's it's still better than what we got in that original 90s version of this, where you have this, you know, fake animatronic spider that's or not not even animatronic like puppet. I, I don't know what to call this thing. Um, if you go back and watch the original, there's certain things that just look terrible by today's standards. And I think, you know, even the worst CGI bits of this one still look light years better than some of the the older pieces of that. And, and outside of just kind of the, the CG and effects work, I think some of the camera work, some of the cinematography that was done in this film is really, really beautiful. Um, there's one sequence, even though it's like, you know, it's a scare, it's it's frightening. 
where they they play with the colors and they move from a more kind of naturalistic LUT to this kind of strange cross-processed LUT where your blues and your oranges are, are really pulled out and you know, and the way it kind of goes between the two in this sequence is, is just really, really amazing. And if you haven't seen the film yet and you're listening to this, you'll you'll know that scene when it's happening because you'll be like, what is going on on this screen? And it's just like, it's so cool the way that they pull that off. And so there are a lot of little touches like that that I think are done really well. The other thing that I think is done done pretty well are the performances. Uh, I know a lot of the reviews that, that I had been hearing um, you know, against my will, you know, as I was driving and unable to change stations or whatever I was listening to, or, or you know, just kind of perusing Twitter real quick without, you know, looking too much into things. Cause you know, like I said before, I don't like reading reviews before seeing something myself. I don't, I try to not read too many of them going into whatever I'm viewing because I don't want my opinion to be colored. I know other people don't really care about that. Um, but I just, I, I'm, I'm somewhat impressionable and I don't want other people kind of shaping my mind before I go into something. Um, but you know, that was one of the things that they all kind of said was like, Oh, Bill Hader is the, the best performance in this film. And like, you know, he's the, he's the saving grace of the film. And, you know, one, I, I don't think the film was so bad or unsavable that Bill Hader was the only good thing about it. I think some of the critique that this film has kind of been going under is like a little bit harsh and I, I haven't quite been able to figure out quite why. Um, you know, there's a little bit that I'll get into a little bit later, um, which is tied to some of my my critiques of the film. Um, but I also like, you know, again, there are other people who are great in this film. Um, James McAvoy is doing a great job as, as Bill. I mean, I don't, I don't, he doesn't, not a whole lot of people talked about him, but I thought he was doing a really good job. Jessica Chastain as, as Bev is also really great. Um, I thought she did a, a, a really great job in the role that she was asked to play. You know, I know, you know, the, the challenge is always for female characters. People want them to have, you know, more range. They don't want to necessarily see them, you know, crying on screen or whatever that may be. But I think that they gave Jessica Chastain enough in this role that, you know, she wasn't one dimensional as I, as I fear some, you know, reviewers kind of said she was, you know, but again, that's all personal perspective when you go into these films. And so while I might think there was a bit more nuance there, other people are going to watch it and be like, oh no, there's, there's really not, they're not doing anything with her. So, you know, I can, can really understand that either way, but you know, from my perspective, I thought she did a really good job. Isaiah Mustafa, who might be better known as the Old Spice guy, you know, I will be honest, I hadn't really seen him act in anything before, so I was a little unsure of what he could do. Um, but I, I thought he did a pretty good job with the material that he was given. Um, you know, his character, Mike, is someone that I'm going to talk a little bit about in my critiques of the film. Um, but again, like I thought he did a good job, like his work was good in the film. Um, the other person that I thought did a really good job was, um, 
uh, I believe his name is James Ransom, uh, who played uh, the adult version of Eddie. And, you know, I was surprised to not hear more kind of positive feedback on his character because I, I thought he did a really great job of translating, you know, what the kid version of Eddie, who was played by Jack Dylan Grazer, I thought he did a really good job of kind of translating that same type of energy um, that kind of young Eddie had without making it feel too, like, you know, too distracting or, or too dissimilar. And, and I think that's something that all of these actors were able to do. They were able to really bridge that gap between who the adult version of these characters were and who the, you know, who the, who the kid version and who the adult versions were. So I thought they did a really good job of doing that. Um, and, you know, I feel like they got a pretty bad shake. The the one that I, I, I feel like was a little bit nothing was Jay Ryan as Ben. Um, you know, for, for me, in, in both of these films, Ben didn't necessarily bring that much to it. And it was a little frustrating because, and and, and this is where I guess I'll get into like one of my major critiques. And, and this is ap applicable to both It Chapter 1 and Chapter 2. They kind of took a lot of Mike's role within the story and gave a few too many pieces of it to Ben, at least in the first movie. Um, so for those of you who aren't really familiar with the books um, or, or with the sorry, with the book, it is one book um, with the book. Uh, Mike's character is the one who kind of knows the history of Derry. And, you know, he's the one who has all this information and is able to bring it to the losers, um, even as kids. And so in the first film, uh, in the first, the, the, you know, in the newer films, um, they took that piece, that piece of what his character does and gave it to Ben. And so ultimately in the first film, Mike didn't really have any real character other than being the black friend. And it was a little bit challenging because like it didn't necessarily get too far into the trauma that he was facing so it's like yeah it's it's racism i guess but that's that's all we're really given we're not, we don't really get a full insight into you know how the the death of his parents and all of that affected him and what it really meant and you know, what it was when you compare it to other characters who are dealing with, you know, the trauma of abuse or the trauma of losing a family member. And the other the other specific trauma that we are kind of forced to address or not address in this film um, is is the trauma of, of Richie's character. And I'm not really going to go into what that is in this film, because, you know, again, it's going to be a bit of a spoiler for people. Um, but what I would say is I feel like they're, they were, they weren't quite sure of how to approach certain topics and they went with the ones that were easier for us to, you know, or, or were easier for them to work with, uh, when it came to making this film. And so, um, certain people's social traumas don't get the same kind of respect as others. And, you know, um, to that point, 
to that point, you know, a, a spoiler that I do have to kind of make for the first 10 minutes of this film, you know, again, like, you know, I'm sure if you're listening to this, you either have seen the film already, I'm assuming, or maybe you just don't care. Um, but the film opens with a very vicious hate crime um, against two gay individuals in the town of Derry. And, you know, we are in a sense shown this scene with very little context outside of the fact that it happens in Derry and it's coinciding with it returning after 27 years. So, I mean, that part's not a spoiler. We knew he was coming back. We all saw the trailer. We, we knew this movie was happening. We knew he had to return. Not a spoiler. But that first 10 minutes, you know, you are starting with this very visceral scene that's not necessarily connected back adequately to the rest of the story that we are being told. Um, and when I say that, you know, it's not to say that there are no connecting fibers to what's going on in the rest of the film, because there are. Uh, there are very specific pieces that this scene relates to um, and very specific ideas that it's supposed to communicate. Uh, mainly that, you know, one of the things that is apparent in almost all of Stephen King's work, um, at least as far as I know, is kind of this idea that, you know, on top of all of these supernatural terrors that people are facing, there are always real world terrors. There are regular people who are monsters in our lives, or there are societal ills that are monstrous, that destroy people, um, chew them up and spit them out. And, you know, that's just as terrifying as Pennywise is, as it is. Um, and, you know, it, on, on that, I think the scene can be read as somewhat effective, but, you know, again, you need to be going into this film thinking about it in that way, thinking about how am I connecting these different pieces? And that relies on the audience to do that work um, without necessarily doing enough of that work within the context of the film, uh, which I think is one of the challenges and something that the film has definitely gotten dinged by other critics about. So um, one of the major things that I've seen a lot of critics talk about is just the fact that this film isn't you know, for for lack of better a better way of saying it, they're they're looking at this film and saying it's not very smart. You know, it doesn't doesn't do enough with the psychological terror like it did in the first one, which I would argue I don't think the first film really did that much with the psychological terror that these kids were facing. Um, you know, these are and and excuse me for kind of approaching it this way i don't want it to sound like i'm bashing other critics because i'm not uh, but what i think i'm trying to do and really what i'm trying to do with this podcast and when i am reviewing films when i am talking about my opinion on films is really kind of taking a step back and thinking about it all right you know yes i am a film literate person but if i'm not if i am a person who just enjoys movies and I want to go see this movie, what are the things that are important to me to know about it? What are the things that I'm going to look for when I go to watch this? You know, and 
different movies allow for different levels of kind of interpretations. And so one of the things that kind of hit me right off the bat in reading a lot of the reviews was, you know, again, you know, they're saying that this movie is not smart. It doesn't do enough with the psychological terror and everything like that. And I'm just sitting there thinking, you know, it's like going into Halloween and expecting Midsummer or like Hereditary. I'm not saying that they couldn't do more with the psychological horror in it. They, that, not saying that they couldn't do a better job of kind of mixing that in. And to a certain degree, I think they do do a good job of doing that. Um, but what I, what I really kind of started to realize, like looking through some of these reviews and just thinking about my own experience with the film. And, and that's, again, like I want to make this specific. This is my experience with it this is going to be different for different people, which I'm going to talk about in a, in a minute on another point. Um, but for me, I look at these films as very much like a roller coaster ride. Like you are going to an amusement park for a specific entertainment experience that isn't the same as some other horror productions. You know, we're not necessarily, even though, even though there is a bit of societal and cultural commentary in this film, even though there is a bit of, you know, psychology in this film, we're not necessarily going to it for those things. We're, we're kind of going more for the, you know, creepy kind of haunted house jump scare kind of thing. It's, it's the same reason why we go to like Eastern state penitentiary. Like, yeah, it's it's we know it's not real. We know the jump scares are coming, but it's just the excitement of being there and experiencing it with friends is is really what we're kind of going for and getting out of it, which I think is a little bit different, even though like the, the mentality might be the same as some other horror movies. You know, that's that's not what I sit down and watch Hereditary for. Hereditary, it's like, I know I'm going to get something messed up, you know, or I'm going to get this really, really, you know, keen insight to the family structure and, you know, when things fall apart, how do people try to hold it together, but can't, and then all hell breaks loose. Like, you know, there's, there's different things that you, you kind of go into these films for, and I just feel like the experience of a blockbuster horror film is a little bit different than, you know, some of the, I, I don't want to call them smaller horror films, but uh, maybe more artisan horror is, is a way to kind of look at it. It is never going to be artisan horror. You know, we're talking about a big, you know, WB movie. You know, this is... This is as big as you can kind of get for a fall, you know, late summer fall blockbuster. Um, and so it's not going to be those things because, you know, for lack of a better way of putting it, those types of things aren't going to make the money that this studio needs to make. And, and again, it doesn't need to be all about the money. It shouldn't be all about the money. But, you know, just from a kind of critical standpoint, it's it's that consideration that you have to make you know if you want this deep psychological terrifying thing maybe go see midsummer or you know if it's still in theaters it's probably not in theaters right now uh, but it'll be streaming soon uh, watch that you know or you know watch something else that that really gets you head scratching but 
if you want a roller coaster ride with a few like woo moments, that's what it's for. Um, and I think that's something that, you know, really we as critics, um, those of us who are critiquing things have to kind of remind ourselves from time to time. Like it's not just some like not everything is the same, you know, not everything is comparative, uh, comparable, like, not to say that we can't compare these two things, not that we can't compare things that are different. Um, but you just have to be aware that different audiences are going to these things for different reasons. And so I think that needs to be a consideration when we're talking about these films. Um, so the other thing that I kind of wanted to talk about in terms of, you know, in a sense, responding to other critics, but also kind of providing my own critique on this, which I which I realize like this is a, this is almost like a, an old LM2 Talks episode um, because it's not just necessarily my review of the film, but just kind of like the conceptual everything that I'm thinking about as I kind of left the theater and, and everything like that. So thank you for bearing with me. Cause I know I've been a little bit rambly. I've been a little bit all over the place, but hopefully you've been you know able to keep up with what I'm saying. And I don't sound too haphazard in, in the way that I'm delivering all of this. Um, but one of the other things that, that came up in a lot of these reviews that I was reading were that the, that it chapter two just wasn't scary and in, especially in comparison to that that first chapter, and I don't necessarily agree. You know, I am not I'm not generally a person who gets scared in a lot of these movies. Um, you know, every now and then a jump scare will startle me, um, most because of the sound or something flashing up on the screen quickly. Most of them are pretty telegraphed though, um, so that you're not really shocked um but what gets me and you know with this film which got a lot of people around me um you know and I'm, you know i got lucky enough to actually be in the theater with one of my friends who was watching this film and and getting to see their reaction to it you know there's a lot of tenseness in some of these films that that builds up and for a lot of people that kind of instills that sense of fear in them and so while what you might be seeing on screen might not be the most terrifying thing you have ever seen, um, while in some cases it may look a little silly in certain cases, that buildup can still be really frightening for some people, you know, or the implication of some form of harm can be really, really jarring for people. Um, and so it's like, I think the idea that this film isn't scary is a bit of a disservice to it because, you know, again, different folks are going to have a different experience with that. For people who have watched tons and tons and tons of horror, you're going to look at this film and say, I'm not really seeing anything that's necessarily new um, or that changes the way that I, I've been scared before. Um, but for other people who maybe don't go into horror as often, because again, like this is blockbuster horror. This is horror that is designed to get a non-horror audience to come to the theater and watch it and experience it. You know, it, this is, this is the six flags of horror, uh, right here. <laughs> like this is fright fest or whatever it's called. Um, the idea is that you're, you're trying to get these people in there who 
don't necessarily always engage with this type of stuff. And so for them, they're going to have a much, you know, different reaction to folks who are kind of deadened to it, who have kind of experienced it all before. And again, I, I think that's just something that we need to take into consideration. So, you know, for I, I imagine for a lot of lifelong horror fans, you know, it chapter two probably just doesn't do it for them. They probably look at this film and maybe there's some enjoyable parts to it or or maybe there's some fun that they had with it. But from a from a scare perspective, it it may not be what they're looking for. But for scare novices, you know, it probably it probably did everything that they needed it to do to give them that very specific, you know, fun roller coaster ride horror experience that they wanted. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's 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 a lot of it. That's a lot of what I kind of came out of this film thinking about. Um, I just realized that I, I did not mention Bill Skarsgård once in this. Um, uh, Bill Skarsgård plays Pennywise. And, you know, in a lot of ways, I, I think he did get a bit of a backseat in this film, mostly because you need to give more time to the adult versions of the losers. Um, <clears throat> But that said, like, I mean, he's still terrifying. That eye thing that he does is still great. The drool is fantastic. I love the voice. You know, he is terrifying and fun. And they still do a lot of really fun things with Pennywise. Um, and I think the way that they visualize the, the very specific uh, way that this film kind of ends I, I think they did a pretty good job of, of realizing that on screen and i i at least thought it was a lot better than the the 90s version of it um you know uh i'm trying to think are there any other loose ends that i really need to touch on or talk about with it chapter two you know at first i thought about doing um, you know, a spoiler portion just to be able to talk about some of the specific things in this film. Um, but I don't think I necessarily need to do that. I mean, I think I've been able to communicate um, some of the issues that I had with it. If you want to hear more about that, let me know. I might do like a short you know, 15 minute follow up if if people want to hear a little bit more, have very specific questions about the film um, and my experience with the film and, and my takeaways that they want to hear. Um, I guess one of the other things that I, that I will say before ending this is um, one of the things that I thought was pretty interesting about this. So like Stephen King's It, the book, is a weird book and there's weird stuff in there. There's stuff that definitely does not hold up stuff that's definitely not okay um you know a lot of you have probably heard about the the like child sewer orgy scene that is in the book that is they were like we are not putting this in the movie um despite some of the other things that they decided to put in the movie um you know so beyond that though there there are some like weird things that they do and again like i'm not gonna go into them if you've seen the film you probably would have guessed what those weird things are uh and i i like that this film leaned into 
All right, we are going to have these weird pieces in here. We're not going to shy away from, you know, this thing that is kind of ridiculous. We're going to do it. We're going to have it in the film and we're just going to see how people respond to it. Um, and I, and I really liked that about it. Um, there were a couple of like specific things that they removed from it, but still got referenced, which I thought was really cool. So, um, you know, it's, it's one of those films where if you have a bit of knowledge about the source material, there are a bunch of things that appear on screen where you're like, oh, that's a reference to this that didn't just didn't make it into it. Um, and I thought that was that was really a cool way to kind of do some of that. Um, but yeah, I'm I, I think I'm going to leave it there. I mean, I think that is that is enough on it. Chapter two. Um, but I, I really, really want to hear what you all thought about it. Oh, so I'm back. That was another episode of Stay Watching Mondays at the Movies. Um, like I said, I'm going to be doing these. I'm going to be trying to do these every week for at least one film. Um, next episode is probably going to be about Hustlers. Um, but I have a lot of other great stuff that I'm, I'm kind of working on and trying to figure out, uh, what I'm going to be recording and when I'm going to be recording. Um, I have an episode on the matrix that I'm going to be working on for the throwback Thursday series. Uh, I'm working on a conversation about sports, uh, that is going to be coming out trash TV since fall TV season is going to be starting up again. Um, I know we missed the wave with Hobbs and Shaw, but I'm still going to be, you know, working on trying to make. I'm still going to be trying to make the uh, Fast and the Furious episode happen. And there are a few topics that I'm going to rant about um, sometime soon. Uh, a couple of things that I've been taking notes on and, and kind of wanting to dive into um, as I've been kind of, you know, hinting out on social media. Like I do want to do some stuff about wrestling, um, especially since we're going to have, you know, some Wednesday night wars starting up soon. Um, with AEW coming to TNT and NXT coming to USA. Um, basically, it's going to be the first time in a long while that the WWE has had some like real television competition. Um, and so it's going to be really interesting to see what comes of that. Um, but I really want to talk about what things got me into wrestling as a kid, uh, what things I still kind of enjoy about it, and what things I kind of struggle with uh, in terms of its current formatting. Um, so, you know, that's something that is going to be a labor of love, but uh, will be kind of showing up at some point. Um, so yeah, uh, but as always, like if there are topics that you want to hear me talk about, if there are films or TV shows that you want to get my opinion on, or, you know, if you are somebody who wants to come on the podcast and talk about something with me, um, you know, preferably something that I am either interested in or am looking to be convinced to be interested in. Um, definitely drop me a line on social media at Larry Tron on pretty much every social media, every social network, um, or shoot me an email, Larry at LM2 photo.com. Um, 
If you can also leave a leave a review wherever you're listening to this podcast, it, it really helps. It helps other people find the show. It also makes me feel warm and fuzzy on the inside. Um, and as I've been telling you for basically all summer and now into the well, I mean, I guess technically it's still summer. It hasn't become fall just yet. Um, I'm now part of the Hard Knock Media uh, Collective, which is the multimedia and podcast arm of the Nerds of Color, uh, your source for all things nerdy from the perspective of people of color on the internet. We have a ton of great shows like Hard Knock Life, which is the flagship podcast for the Nerds of Color, uh, Southern Fried Asians, which looks at the experience of Asian Americans in the US South, as well as DC TV Classics, which dives into the history of DC comics getting into television. So lots of great stuff to check out there. Uh, hardknockmedia.com. All right. So it's been real. Hope you all have a great week. Stay watching fam. Peace.